The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the word this morning excited to get into the word as we always are uh, if you're taking notes strongly encouraged taking notes gives you an opportunity to revisit those things and uh, you know as we're here together God's speaking to us and then individually he's leading us and he's guiding us and he's speaking to us uh, so if you're able to write a few things down it gives you an opportunity to revisit those things uh, later on in the week uh, here's a few things that you can look forward to as we get into the word uh, some things that uh, we're going to find in the scripture uh, one, we're going to find out what eternal life is. What eternal life is. I think that's a, a big deal. I mean, obviously, eternal life is, is used as the uh, reward to promote uh, new birth and salvation as we, you know, print up tracts and go and evangelize. Obviously, the, the, the big ticket item there is eternal life, you know. And so I think it's important for us to, to not get drawn into that sales pitch and find out exactly what eternal life is. We can understand more than just that as an idea or a concept, but realize what it's founded upon, what it is, what its purpose is, basically how it works, so to speak. And I think that'll be helpful to every Christian in the room, and it'll equip us uh, to lead others in the right direction. A second thing we're going to find is what time it is, right? And I noticed as I preach, you guys are very concerned with what time it is, because you're always looking at your watch when I'm preaching. <laughs> huh? So I'm just going to help you out with that and tell you what time it is this morning. That's something we're going to find in the scripture, what, what time it is. You'll see it in the word, and it, it should be very uh, uh, revealing. Uh, a third thing we're going to find is the power of building people up. The power of building people up. I mean, it's really important as we, we, we live out our lives, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we're equipped with the authority of the name of Jesus, uh, we have an opportunity to do something very powerful. We're going to find out that building people up is an extremely powerful thing that we're called to do. Uh, so we're going to get into the Word. We're going to continue in a series. But we're going to jump right in. We mentioned before we're going to find out what eternal life is. But we're going to find that out in, in just a moment. But if you want to take down this first passage of Scripture, it's our foundational passage that we've been looking at uh, out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, we've been reading verses 7 through 12. Now 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, we're seeing the power and the importance of love. And we've moved on to talk about what love is. We're going to continue in that this morning. So 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, uh, we read these words. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So do you see those things there? Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Absolutely. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Knows God is what I want to uh, emphasize here in a moment. So everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He goes on to write, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So by this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. Uh, this goes on to say that, beloved, in verse 11, beloved, if God loved us this way, we so also ought to love one another. So this is the call that's upon our lives. This is 
the, the, the result of the love that God has revealed to us through Jesus, that we might take that love and not simply receive it as vessels that are containers, but that we might have it flow through our lives, that we might be the catalyst of the love of God, that the love of God goes in and then the love of God goes out, that there is a constant flow of God's love in our lives, through our lives, and spilling out onto this world. God loved us in such a way that we might take that example and manifest that example in our relationships to one another. I mentioned before that we were going to emphasize that idea of knowing God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I mentioned we were going to find out what eternal life is. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Uh, in your Bibles, you may see that it might have a title over it. Uh, it is known as the section of Scripture that is referred to as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus, and he's praying, and he's praying for you. Now, I've said this before as we've used passages out of John chapter 17 in the past, that if you're ever struggling with you know, your, your, your worth or your identity or you're just kind of having a rain cloud hang over your head, I would encourage you to open up your Bible to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus Christ praying for you. Praying for you, praying for me. And in this prayer, as he's speaking to the Father, as he's speaking to God, he reveals some very wonderful and powerful truths that we can be greatly affected by when we uh, let them enter into our hearts and our minds and have a powerful effect. John chapter 17, in verse 3, Jesus speaks of eternal life. And he says this, he says, this is eternal life. So pause right there and just think about how powerful those first few words are. This is eternal life, dot, dot, dot. Jesus is setting the stage to reveal that what comes after is going to be what eternal life is made up of, what it consists of, uh, what it exists in and through. This is eternal life, that they may know you. The you there is God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Now, isn't that interesting that when we read in the writings before concerning uh, love, that love was necessary in order for us to know God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then I think that this is incredible, because oftentimes in church environments, we become so fixated on expressing our love toward God that we can forget his call that we express our love toward one another. Because the foundation of this passage is about us loving one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. I mean, I'm kind of an underliner and a circler, and I draw things in my Bible thinking that'll help me remember, and then the next time I read it, I'm thinking, why did I draw that, you know? But if you're going to record something that would identify the, the emphasis or, or really the necessary or the weighty part of this passage, it's going to be this love for one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So for is an interesting word. I know it feels like we're in English class, and I hated English class, so just stick with me because we'll get through it really quick. There's a word that you can substitute 
the word for with. So you want me to preach fast, for you are hungry. Right? Well, think of the other word that you could use there. You want me to preach fast because you are hungry. For and because are interchangeable. So in our vocabulary, because, you know, we don't speaketh like that sometimes, I don't go home and say, honey, I would like a sandwich for I am hungry. I mean, she'd probably look at me like, uh, what have you been smoking? <laughs> but if I went home and just said, hey, I'd like something to eat because I'm hungry, because I didn't eat lunch, because I worked through lunch, because, it, because is the word that we use in our vocabulary often. So sometimes it's good to let's just substitute that. Maybe it's enough to make the, the content stick a little better in our minds. So beloved, let us love one another because... Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Our knowledge of God and our being born of God is manifest through our love for one another. It's revealed, it's identified, it exists in order to bring this into existence, and its existence is confirmed by us relating to one another with the same love that God relates to us with, and that's manifest through his sending of Jesus to ransom us, to pay the price that we might live. So eternal life, it's more than just a long period of existence. If we think of eternal life as just a long period of existence, we're going to miss the boat. But this eternal life is this infinite connection with God the Father who has no beginning, who has no end, and it's manifest in perfection through love. So this is where we get to, to the point of this series, which is what is love? You know, and I mean, it, I know it's, it's the same old thing, but it's just a good example. Now it's not a joke, it's just an example. The first week it was a joke and people laugh, and the second week people feel obligated to laugh, and now it's no longer a joke at all, it's just an example. But there, I have made this declaration before, I love these tacos. I mean, we use the word love often. You know, I mean, you could love a TV show. You could love... Pastor Preston's preaching. <laughs> hey! Hey! Yeah. I'm fishing today. I mean, there, we use that word a lot. You know, I, I love this. I love that. And, and after a while, it can get used so often it becomes common. And it, it, we, it starts to lose its, its emph the emphasis behind its meaning and it, its power. It just becomes another four-letter word in our vocabulary. But if we can, can realize what the Bible says love is, it, it can stir in us a greater understanding and a greater awareness of not only what, what we are declaring when we say that we love, but we can understand what we've been called to, to live by. If we're called to love one another, we can understand that that's more than just that same thing that identifies things we like, but yet it consists of some very specific, powerful elements that are meant to be revealed through our words and actions toward one another. And we found this list identifying what makes up love in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to turn there again, we'll continue to visit this passage as we move through this series. It opens up with identifying love is. Now, once again, you can just let your brain stop there for a second and think love is Dot, dot, dot. What you're about to hear after love is, is going to be identifying what makes up love. Love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not brag. It is not arrogant. 
It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And then this great uh, crescendo at the end that sums it all up is love never fails. So we begin to see what makes up love. I mean, I, I oftentimes, you know, told my wife, and, and I, I love you, and I do, I love my wife. But what I have to ask myself is, when I say that, could I stand and with the same confidence say, I'm patient with you? Could I stand and with the same confidence say, I'm kind to you? Because love is patient, love is kind. Could I stand and, and say that I have no envy? Now, we talked about envy last week. Patience was the first. It was three weeks back. Then, then kindness, that was a couple of weeks ago. And, and that was a, a really powerful message in my opinion. I mean, patience can be tough, but kindness is something that can be really tough for me on, on occasion. And then last week we talked about love is not jealous. And we substituted the word, because I don't believe jealous is a good translation there, envious. Because we know God is love, and yet through the scripture we see that God is jealous. His name is jealous. He's a jealous God. But the word envy is right, because envy means to covet or to want something else. So if if love doesn't have any envy in it, when I tell my wife I love you, what I'm saying is I don't want anyone else. There's no other but you. I wouldn't rather be with her or her or her, but I want you. And then we get to this, love does not brag and is not arrogant. That's where we're at today, and I want to talk about that. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. We've covered patience and kindness. We've covered the absence of envy. And now love is as void of bragging and arrogance. So uh, to come to a, a conclusion of where we need to go, I go to the dictionary. Because I, I think I know what it means to brag, and I think that I know what it means to be arrogant. But I want to make sure that I do. So when we go to the dictionary here, I want to look up the word brag. Now, the dictionary will play with your head. It, it will, you know. I mean, you'll look up words, and, you know, uh, if you look up the word stop, and it says to cease. And you think, okay, well, I don't know what cease is, so I'm going to look up cease. It's going to say to stop. And then you're in this, like, endless ping pong match going back and forth, and you think, well, I don't know. I didn't get anywhere. So the dictionary can get in your head, and we'll try to avoid that. But if you look up the word brag, you're going to come up with a couple of of definitions. Uh, One of those is a pompous or boastful statement. A second definition is to, to talk boastfully. So when I see these things, I see the word boastful being consistent in those. So now I want to look up the word boastful. You know, I mean... If I want to understand what it means to brag, I'm going to need to understand what it means to boast. So when I go to look up the word boast, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, oh God, please don't let it say to brag. <laughs> and, and fortunately it didn't. To boast. To puff oneself up in speech. So if I'm seeing that love doesn't brag, what I'm seeing is that love doesn't build itself up. It does not build itself up in speech. And then it's not arrogant. So we go back to the A's. We go from the B's, turning back. How many of you, when you look something up in the dictionary, actually say the alphabet in your head? Or the phone book? Okay, now how many of you sing it? I do. 
I do that too. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then you know you get to Elemento. Elemento. It's arrogant. We got to look up the word arrogant. We come to, to this when we go to the dictionary. Uh, this is a little bit of a, a longer definition, but I want to read it to you. Uh, exaggerating or disposed to exaggerate one's own worth or importance, often by an overbearing manner. I mean, the Bible warns don't think more of yourself than you ought to. So really what the Bible's saying there is don't be arrogant. So we've got that love doesn't brag, it doesn't puff itself up, and, and it's not arrogant, it doesn't have an exaggerated view of its importance or its worth in a situation. Now, as I'm reading these things and I'm coming to a conclusion of, of what it means to, to brag and what it means to be arrogant and realizing that these things don't exist in love, I'm looking at relationships in which I would define as being founded upon love and I get greatly concerned. Really, oftentimes it, it manifests, this concern would be manifest in the midst of conflict where my tendency is to, tend to position myself as important. Well, don't you forget what's at stake, all of this. I mean, you, you come to these positions where you're, you're inflating yourself in order to create this position of stability or security, and really what you're doing is you're operating completely outside of love, and it's love that bears all things. It's love that endures all things. It's love that hopes all things, and it's love that never fails. When we step outside of that, we step into the fullness of insecurity, instability, and the potential for failure. So there's some issues that come with bragging and arrogance. And there's a reason why bragging and arrogance have no place in love. They come with some, some real baggage. I want to give you a few passages of scripture, uh, issues with arrogance. Luke 14.11, you'll find it also in the Gospel of Matthew uh, 23.12 and in Luke 18.14. Jesus is, is speaking these words and he says that multiple times throughout the Gospel it's recorded multiple times. Uh, the gist of what he said multiple times is as follows. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who will humble himself will be exalted. I mean, when we're arrogant, when, we're, when we are boastful or we're, we are braggadocious in, in any way, shape, or form, when we are exalting ourselves and puffing ourselves up, we set ourselves up for a fall. I'll give you a passage of scripture here for your notes out of James. James chapter 4 verse 6. It simply says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, I, I, I believe with all of my heart, I am bought by the blood of Jesus. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. There are the accompanying signs and, and changes and results that would testify and, and the manifestation of, of all that comes with those things in my life. There's no doubt in my mind that I am a son of the Most High God. But this passage of Scripture would still apply to me. That when I step into the realm of operating in pride or arrogance or that braggadocious or boastful mentality that begins to inflate myself, I immediately change my position from functioning and operating with God to then being in a place of functioning and operating against God. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
it's necessary for us to be mindful that to operate in love means to operate outside of this uh, self-exalted importance in this braggadocious way. And, uh, you know, really and truly, it's easy for me to, to pull out examples from my life. Most of them would come from my marriage. That's where the most time is spent, the most opportunity for conflict is present, and the most conflict is present because of those things. But I could pull from it from any area of my life where there's relationships that are of worth and merit. But when we come to a point where there's a challenge or a conflict, it's very important that we remember that what never fails, what hopes and endures, what has the power to bring victory in any situation does not promote itself. It doesn't push for its way. And when I examine myself, how I handle myself in conflict, how I handle myself, whether it's in marriage or even with my kids, I see all kinds of inconsistencies. And nobody likes to have their paper graded right in front of them. You know what I mean? But if somebody were grading my paper, they would see all kinds of points of manipulation, points of posturing for power, uh, uh, points of... of uh, uh, bullying, where you're trying to kind of make the other person smaller. You're done making yourself bigger. You're as puffed up as you can get. But if I can make you smaller, then I'll seem bigger. <laughs> I mean, it's really gross. But, but it's, it's, it's in here. And God is getting it out of here. Sometimes I might resist that process, but that process is still one that he's committed to. He will give grace to the humble. And when we can humble our hearts and say, Father, grade my paper. Show me where I'm a manipulative jerk. Show me where I am a thug and a bully. Unveil these things that I wouldn't walk blinded to these things, thinking that I'm the picture of your love released on the earth today. Just don't cross me, Jack. He'll give grace to us when we humble our hearts. Another issue with arrogance is, is arrogance is not going to make life pleasant. Promoting ourselves, puffing ourselves up is going to lead to difficulty. And I'll give you a single passage of scripture that's pretty simple and straightforward out of the Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 25. Proverbs 28, 25. It reads like this. An arrogant man, that's someone who puffs themselves up or has an exaggerated view of their importance or their position. An arrogant man stirs up strife. An arrogant man stirs up strife. So when I start to, you know, grade my own paper here, I look at things and I think, how many times do I step into conflict and, and you know, the raging seas of conflict, and when I enter in, the wind dies down and the waves cease to roll? Or how many times when I step into it does it get ten times worse? Well, there's a lot of times where I step into it and it gets ten times worse. But an arrogant man stirs up strife. I mean, we can even use that as a bit of a, a, a meter or a gauge. Am I operating in arrogance? Well, let me look. Is there evidence that I've been stirring up strife when I get involved? If when I get involved, the, the strife meter pegs, then I need to check my heart for arrogance. In what part of this situation have I inflated myself to this indispensable role? I'm so important that I'm absolutely necessary, and you ought to listen to me, and if you won't listen to me, then you're wasting your time and everyone else's because it is my way or the highway. Arrogance will stir up strife. Another challenge with arrogance and, you know, building yourself up, a, a braggadocious or boastful way of thinking and living. 
is one that we're going to have to, to read between the lines slightly, but I want to give it to you out of the Psalms. Psalm 5, verse 5. Psalm 5, verse 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Speaking of the Father. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Now when I read that, I have to pause and, and not get caught up with the before your eyes and, and all of those things. Basically, it just means the boastful won't be in your presence. They won't stand before you. They won't be living and operating in the midst of your presence. Now, I understand that God is everywhere all the time, but this is about a sensitivity to receive the benefits of the presence of God being absent, all because of the arrogance that separates us from being the humble that receive the grace to being the boastful, the arrogant, the proud that are the opponents to that grace, the opposition. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. Here's the, the problem with being resistant to the benefits of the presence of God. You can find this in the Psalms, in Psalm 16, verse 11. When you read Psalm 16, verse 11, you're going to come to a place that identifies the benefits of being in the presence of God. It's going to include things like the fullness of joy. Found in your presence is the fullness of joy. And then in the hand of God, at your right hand, pleasures forever. I mean, this is a really enjoyable place to be. To be sensitive to the presence of God. To be uh, led by the presence of God. Not to be in opposition to the things of God, but rather to be surrendered to those things is to open us up to joy. I examine my life for the presence of depression. Are there areas where I'm just super depressed? And is that an area of my life where there's arrogance or something boastful, where I have exalted myself, where now all of the things that exist in the presence of God aren't found there? Because where the presence of God is, you're going to see the fullness of joy in those things that exist within his presence and that are promised in his midst. But the boastful, the arrogant, the braggadocious, those who are operating outside of love, won't know those things. I mentioned we're going to find out what time it is. I mean, it's about that time. This is normally when people check their watches. When I get from my first page to my second page. And then there's this other sign that I think is God's gift to the congregation. You know, when that little bead of sweat rolls down your back and makes it all the way down, it's time to pray and go home. So if you ever see me like do this, let's pray. You know what just happened. What time it is? What time is it? I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to look at verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now, Paul is writing this passage inspired by the Holy Spirit and speaking prophetically into the future. Now, this is uh, well over a thousand years ago. You're looking at a couple thousand year old text here, and he is speaking into the future. So where would that put us when he's writing this? In the future. <laughs> so when you read this, I want you to consider and ask yourself, does this describe the days we live in? If I were to turn on mainstream media and I were to listen to the headlines and, and watch the, the news reports, would I see these things manifest on the, on the television, in the media, on the news? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. But realize this, that in the last days or in the future, difficult times will come. For men 
will be. Now, I want to pause there. Did you see the word for? I'd like to substitute the word because there. Difficult times will come because, because men will be. It's men that cause the problem. It's not the times that are affecting the men, but it's the men that are affecting the times. Difficult times will come because, because men will be. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be boastful and arrogant, which remember, love does not boast and is not arrogant. The love of God that we're meant to have flowing through our lives doesn't boast and is not arrogant. But men will become lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable irreconcilable, excuse me. And by the way, if you were to, to look at statistics of the most common reason for divorce in America, it will be irreconcilable differences, meaning we're just not going to work it out. We're, we're, we're not going to, to be willing to yield in any way, shape, or form to see this work out to a solution. Irreconcilable. Malicious gossips. They will be without self-control. Not only are people without self-control today, but they are proud of it. Without self-control, brutal. Now, this is one that I stop on because, I, I mean, I, my house is, is a little different than some. And, and if your house celebrates certain things, I'm not saying this to your shame, but it is something to think about. I remember once, I've never been a, a big fan of, of, you know, boxing or, or what has now become really popular, the MMA and the fights and stuff. I've, I've just never liked it. I mean, some of the most foul and disgusting things I've ever seen have been men being beaten. And I don't want to go there. But I do remember one time there was an, uh, an opportunity for something to, to be on the TV in the house there, and it involved violence like that. And my wife just said, can we shut this off? I, I really don't want that. I don't want to be entertained by that. But when I look at our culture today, I think you could describe it as brutal. They're absolutely entertained by that. They love it and they scream for more. They pay money to witness it. They fly to places and buy tickets so that they can go sit and watch men beat each other. That's a problem for me. And if it's not a problem for you, I'm not wanting to rebuke you. I'm just saying if in the last days when men become, and it creates difficult times, one of the things men become is brutal. Haters of good. Haters of good, if you turned on the news, and I won't pick on any network, but if you turned on the news today, would you see haters of good? Oh, my God. Haters of good. Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power. I mean, that, that's, that basically sums up a large portion of our population. Yeah, I believe in God, but he has no impact or effect on my decision-making, my choices, or my lifestyle. And then this call in the end, avoid such men as these. So when I say what time is, it obviously the reason for bringing that, there's a lot of content there, and I think you could, could soak and dwell on that passage and have a, a great discipleship speaking about those things and how they exist in the world today and how we ought to stand out as light in the darkness being the opposite of these things. But boastful and arrogant, it's interesting to me that boastful and arrogant are in that passage so specifically, and boasting and arrogance are forbidden to exist in love as we're meant to love. 
When I see what time it is, I see a time that Jesus said would come when men's hearts grow cold, when love, as he said, grows cold. A time when boasting and arrogance, self-promotion and self-exaltation are on the rise and the selfless love of God on the decline. And we are called to stand out as the difference in that. And when we're called to love in the way that we're called to love, it's, it's the commandment that Jesus gives us. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here as we begin to come to the conclusion. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? Now, I personally I know throughout the Scripture that you see recorded that men are, are constantly trying to trap Jesus and, and get Jesus in a bind or, or prove themselves smarter than him, and, and they're constantly in this, this position of trying to jockey you know, for, for who's going to get the most leverage on this guy and, and end up you know, kind of king of the hill, so to speak. But when I read this passage of Scripture, for some reason, I actually sense a little bit of sincerity in the question. That the guy is really wanting to know. You know, I mean, like, like I understand that there's all of these concerns politically with Jesus, and he's coming to shake things up. But, but at the end of the day, you can't help but acknowledge the power that this guy walks in. And I think that the guy that's asking this question legitimately wants an answer. And I actually believe that that's why Jesus gives him a legitimate answer. Because I believe the guy's sincere. He says, uh, uh, <clears throat> Teacher, which of the commandments is greatest? And Jesus said, You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And then I can kind of, you know, hear the room coming to a bit of a hush and, and maybe some chatter. Oh, did you hear what he said? He said, Oh. And then I kind of hear Jesus. Then, you know, he gives this, this long enough pause to let that soak in. And then in my mind, as I imagine this going down, then I, I, I hear as the, the crowd begins to kind of rumble, you know, then Jesus keeps talking. And he says, hey, the second is like it. And the hush goes away. And everyone realizes, wait, he's not done. What else is he about to say? And as the hush is gone and the people are waiting, you know, on the edge of their seat, what is he going to add to this answer? What is it that he's about to say when he says the second is like it? He goes on to reveal, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, he's yoking them together as having one purpose. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all of the prophets. I mean, that's really the power of love, and it's why we ought to examine love, what makes up love, and see to it that the things that make up love exist in our words, in our actions, through our lives. And in order for this love to exist, it cannot be filled with self-exaltation. Boastful and bragging and arrogance have to go. That willingness to puff yourself up has got to be laid down. We'll see the attitude that we must have to be like Jesus. We, we've spoken about these passages before, and they're fitting oftentimes in a number of messages, and today is, is exactly one of those messages. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. You're going to see the, the mentality, the attitude of Jesus Christ, the one who is revealing the love of God in bodily form, that we are called and equipped to model our lives after is revealing to us the mentality 
the attitude, the lifestyle that we are called to, to see to it that self-promotion and the arrogance that it's founded upon doesn't exist in us and that the love of God flows through our lives. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The words read like this, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now here comes the purpose. Do nothing from selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. I can read that passage and not change the meaning of it by adding the words boastful and arrogant to that. Don't be boastful and arrogant, but rather build up others. Don't build yourself up, but build up others. This is the attitude that's in Jesus Christ. We're not interested in building our own stability or security or, or the appearance of it, hoping that we can get ourselves big enough to scare off everyone else. And they won't see us for how small we actually are. But if our heart can be free from that fear and that anxiety and we can be released into a lifestyle that understands my stature is established by Jesus Christ and my life is committed not to building up me, but building up you. We can come to a place where we can function and operate just like Jesus. And by definition, be Christians or little Christs. I want to give you a passage. I told you we're going to find the power of building up. I love this passage of Scripture, and, and I'm committed to fitting it into as many messages as it could possibly be fit into over my lifetime. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 2 through 6. The power of building people up. If we can stop being fixated on building up ourselves and start being committed to building up others, we might be amazed at the results. I love this passage of Scripture, and I hope that it, it communicates to you the things that it communicates to me. Isaiah chapter 35, beginning in verse 2. It reads like this, They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, I mean, I, I stop there and I think, who's they? I mean... For you and for me right now, they is everyone outside of me. Everyone else but me. Everyone outside of me is what makes up they. They will see the glory of the Lord. They will see the majesty of God. And it goes on to say, when? With the call to me and to you is to encourage the exhausted and strengthen the weak. Say to those who are filled with fear and anxiety, be of good courage and fear not. Behold, God will come and vindicate. And then there's this wonderful result. When we begin to build up others, when we begin to encourage others, when we not build our own platform, when we, we are not building our own platform rather, but we begin to build up those around us, the result is revealed here in verse 5. Then, then the eyes of the blind will be open. Then the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. 
Then the lame will leap up like the deer. Then the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Then waters will break out in the dry places and streams in the desert. Then, then when we don't build up ourselves, but we build up those around us, then we see these wonderful, miraculous, heavenly promised results. Then. Building up others is a powerful thing. And I want to say this knowing that this is an opinion. But personally, I think it could be the most powerful thing. I want to tell you why I think that as we close. I mean, we're going to be done with this. But I want you to think about the ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean... His birth and his life as he he grows into being a young man and then the release into his ministry and in the results of his ministry as people are abandoning destructive ways. There are are women leaving prostitution and, and men leaving lifestyles of drunkenness and waste. There are criminals who are returning their what they have stolen and restoring what they've stolen and committing to live a life of honesty and truth. I mean, people are are turning from evil to righteousness, it's this wonderful, incredible, and powerful thing. And then add on to that the, the miracles. There's the sick being healed and the dead being raised. You have this incredible display of the, the power of God's love when it's released into this earth. And all of that starts at a starting point. It begins at a place. It has an, an origin. And I believe we see the power of the building up of others in that. The power of of words of affirmation and, and the willingness rather than to build up your own platform but to build up someone else. I think we see the power of that when we see the origin of the ministry of Jesus. If you want to see it in the scripture, you can find it in Matthew chapter 3. You'll find it around verse 17. But you see Jesus walking and and he's identified by John the Baptist. He's there to be water baptized. You can read the, the story. It's a powerful story. Jesus steps into the water and John says, listen, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is how God has it. And then there, I mean, just think about it. You know, right now, the best that you and I have is our, our wonderful imagination to just put ourselves on the bank of the river as if we were watching and observing. To see uh, uh, the the man, John the Baptist, knowing that that he was there as the forerunner for this man, and it was understood that that was the case, and now here he is. So there's this wonderful anticipation that, hey, this is kind of a big deal. If somebody got their phone out, you might want to video this. There's something big going down today. And then to to just see John and Jesus talking, you know, just to see their mouths moving, but no, I can't hear what they're saying, but don't you know that it's powerful? And you're kind of leaning over, trying to tiptoe over the crowd because you're wanting to see, and then you see John take him down into the water. And then you see him bring him up. And the sunlight glimmering off the water as it's pouring off of Jesus, and then this manifestation from heaven, this glorious, I mean, who knows how you would have seen it but it's described as the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And you would know that you just witnessed something really powerful that was going to change the world. It went viral. They wrote it down and it went viral. And then there was a voice. 
as you're watching, knowing that this wonderful and powerful thing just happened, there's a voice that kicks off the ministry that will forever change the world. And it's the voice of the Father. And he doesn't say, I'm going to put on a show for you. He doesn't say, look at how much I love you. But rather, he builds up Jesus. He says, that's my son. He claims him. He's legitimate. He's not illegitimate. He has a father, and I'm his father. I I claim him. He has worth. And then he says, and I'm pleased in him, meaning he has nothing to prove to me. No more affirming words could be spoken from a father to a son than to say, I claim him, and he makes me happy. I mean, the wounds that exist in men today exist in men today from the absence of the affirming words of a father to a son. But when we see the power of affirmation, we see ministry that is kicked off that changes the world. No longer does Jesus ever have to do anything to build his own platform because God just built it for him. And I really believe today that everyone is on social media and everyone is is dealing with conflict in their own way because they're building their own platforms because no one's ever built them one. We have a chance to build up people around us. And when we build up those around us, there's not this this desperation or this, this need or this void of a platform and some desire to build one yourself. But to build up, to encourage, to equip, to affirm all of those around us, is to release them into the fullness of their potential. I think we see it at the beginning of the gospel. When God releases those building, affirming words, and it launches the ministry that has saved you and me. It's a wonderful thing. And it's all void of boasting and arrogance. It's all refusing to build itself, but committed to building others. I want that in my life. And I'm trusting and believing God for it to be powerful and effective. And I want it in your life too. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.